0: Welcome to Social Evolution. I'm your host, Michael Porcelli. And I'm Max Borders. And we're here to talk about the future of humanity. And today we're specifically going to be focusing on human psychosocial development.
1: Human psychosocial development. It's quite a mouthful. Sure. But it really is right at the center of who we are as human beings. And it's really hard to get your your head around sometimes. Uh, A lot of people have tried.
0: Yeah, totally. So, you know, there's one thing which is biological evolution, which is, a you know, this brilliant uh, theory that Darwin really solidified and it relates, you know, species to each other. And with the discovery of DNA, we sort of realize we're all part of one family of life here you know in in some sense we're all just distant relatives of each other every species on earth every animal and plant and you know you could you could say that evolution is a way of modeling change over time at the biological level and when we talk about social evolution which is what our podcast is all about we're talking about change maybe in these other dimensions and we've mentioned the dimension of culture uh, institutions technology and the way that those evolve or co-evolve alongside or on top of our biological heritage as a human species. Right on. That's right. And, and
1: really, you know, it's important to bring up the fact of the natural world, uh, as well as, and of course, the way we adapt the natural world. And then our response to those adaptations, and more and more that starts to get away from nature and into technology, but there's significant overlap we could talk about. But with respect to human biological evolution, we really have to always consider uh, any conversation about our own development or our own evolution as a species or as a society in light of that very bottom layer of level of description not in order to be reductionist, but in order to acknowledge the fact of Darwinian evolution and what it gives rise to us as a human, in us as a human species.
0: Yeah, totally. So inevitably we will touch in on that, especially, you know, like Max just said, like it, that as a foundational level, it kind of provides the constraints, like what's the design space we're sort of operating in, but it doesn't determine everything. It's not, it's not a biological determinism. And if you kind of zoom in, in this area, which we're going to talk about today, the psychosocial development area, this is, this is like all the interesting shit that has changed while we've just basically been, you know, biologically modern humans. You can see biologically modern humans, depending on how you count it quarter million years, like 250,000 years and civilization itself, really something like 12,000 years, give or take. And we're really kind of talking about these changes that have occurred on the social side of that development for roughly these past 12,000 years plus or so. Uh, And then when we're talking about the uh, psychological development. This is kind of the thing that each human goes through as we grow up. And, and there's this interesting intuition almost that people have, like a lot of the theorists that we're going to talk about today have had these theories, but there's got to be some interaction between this cultural side of the development Right. This kind of the way that civilization seems to have grown and changed over time and this kind of psychological side of development where it's like, hey, you know, like when I was a little baby, I couldn't walk and then I could. Right. And I couldn't talk. And then I could. And like you learn these things It's kind of you, you grow in a certain way. And like, wow, these are two different models of development, it's sort of development with two different meanings perhaps but like do they interact do they is there an interplay there
1: yeah there's there's a lot of similarities between them certainly if they're not if they're not conflated and a lot of theorists do conflate them and um you know when we talk about an individuated self that is going through a process of development within some evolutionary fitness landscape Mm -hmm. that is very similar from uh, not only from childhood to adulthood but as an adult, we go through various stages there are also, but by virtue of, uh, biological evolution and its constraints, I think that's a really great way of putting it, um, uh, limitations on our cognitive abilities, for example, you know, yeah. um, none of us is probably ever going to be, have the, the IQ of an Albert Einstein, right? Yeah. And yet some of the postulates of these, you know, developmental theories might require the most advanced stages, someone be as smart or cognitively developed as an Einstein. So it's really strange. Um, then to turn around and talk about how smart someone is and talk about how whole cultures and their values are composed. Yeah. It's very strange, but there are meaningful connections between individuated selves uh, and whole societies. And within some of these developmental frameworks,
0: questions of i and we yeah totally totally one of my favorite uh constraints that i bump up against often is like um it's it's a simple one but maybe you've noticed this like you know i love listening to podcasts and i also love reading and i also like writing but like my verbal channel there's only one of them right like i can't really read an article and listen to a podcast and write something all simultaneously. Like I just said, there's just one verbal pipeline. And that really is a kind of a hard limit, right? That's Mm -hmm. part of my biological machinery that I can't, but you know, theoretically, you know, we the way the computers can like multiplex all kinds of communication. Like perhaps, you know, maybe someday we could, you know, with a cybernetic implant do a thing where you can process multiple verbal channels at the same time. But, can't right this. So this is like one of these constraints, right? It's like, I got to, sometimes I wish I could, didn't have to sleep for a week, but I do. Right. Like, cause I just want to like do more shit or something. Right. Like, right. you can't.
1: But you're constrained by at least your biology. Now, some other people, I know people who can play the piano with their left hand, because there's a baseline pay play the piano with the right hand, which is a, me- uh, a sort of an upper melody and then yeah. sing on top of it. Yep. Right. While chewing gum, Yep, And it's, it's like, how the hell do you do that? I always want, you know, I'm a bass player. I always wanted to sing and play bass, but I never could. And likewise, I think, you know, we have to, if you think of any, any domain of activity, the very most excellent people are head and shoulders above the rest of the pack. Totally. You might, you know, the call it the Olympics of anything. Yep. Uh, it working for Google as a software engineer is a, is the Olympics of software engineering yep. working, you know, working, uh, being literally in the Olympics as a sprinter is, is you're just so far above everybody, the average person's ability to run, but those are all biological constraints. No one can run 200 miles an hour.
0: Right. Exactly. So, yep.
1: You know, we are, we are constrained by our biology. We are also constrained by some of the features, the, the subjective features that our bi- biology gives rise to. And I love this about Dan- Daniel Dennett, you know, talking about cute babies. There's not – cuteness doesn't inhere in babies – we're evolved right. to find them cute so that we take care of them and, and not dash their heads over the rocks. Right. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and there's so many different phenomena. I mean, being jealous, being envious, being anything you can imagine that we feel as a human being was forged in the fires of the paleolithic step, you know, a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand 200,000 years ago. Yeah. Um, and yes, there, there are more recent forces of, of, human evolution that might've adapted us, uh, uh, along certain dimensions or uh, caused us uh, evolutionary changes on certain dimensions. But the, the breadth and depth of our evolutionary, um, composition today was, was already given to us a hundred thousand years ago Yep. or more.
0: Yep. Yeah, totally. You know, this is, This is, it's bound to stoke a little controversy when we start thinking about these things. Cause you know, in some ways we just generally accept, uh, you know, I loved your example of, of, uh, athletic performance, cause this is actually one that's for the most part, not that controversial, right? It's really clear to me, you know, certain weightlifters will, you know, lift more weights than I ever will, right? Like, because they've trained or like certain sprinters will go way faster than I ever will. And we go, yeah, those are the Olympians. Like you said, the Olympics of this, the Olympics of that. And it's like, of course, like, you know, we can think of really great singers or really great musicians or like this way of, it's clear there's development along certain, especially if you think of like skills, right? It's like, clearly you can get way, way better at certain narrowly defined skills, like sprinting, swimming, like Michael Phelps or whatever, and or even
1: or even better when you know when the, those skills are 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 fashioned by virtue not only of your genes but your environment. Let's say you're, I don't yeah. know, born blind, mm-hmm. and you're born with the gift of music. You get to be Stevie Wonder. Yep, you know what I mean, and nobody is gonna. Nobody is going to be able to compare uh, who has sight with the ear of Stevie Wonder. You know, he's just going to be the best of the best. He's going to be in the Olympics uh, because of the not only his constraints on one dimension, which is he's not going to be very good at drawing pictures or seeing things, <laughs> right? right? But he's going to be a hell of a lot better by virtue of interaction with his environment, learning music, and because of the fact that he has deficiencies in some other areas and makes him really acute skills that he already had some genetic disposition for anyway. It's, it's just amazing how the interplay between nature and nurture.
0: So that is all of a piece. Totally. Totally. You're, you're, you're getting into this kind of like, you know, these ideas about, you know, the neuroplasticity and different ways we can develop. But before we, we jump further there, I just want to, you know, at least for our listeners, Hit a couple places where it just seems obvious, and we hit. And I just wanted to just do a quick review. Childhood development, we we widely regard this as just accepted, right? Like kids learning to walk when they couldn't. You know, you, kids don't just pop out of the womb, walk in, and talk in, right? Like yep. they got to learn some shit. And yep. you you could definitely see just the general capacity of human learning is something we kind of think, wow, this is almost like it's almost definitional to being a human, right? We have a general capacity to learn new shit. And that's what school is all about. And this is something that animals learn, but they don't really learn in this kind of hypercharged way for whatever reason. But that's part of the the biological inheritance that we received is something like the, the, the capacity within all humans to kind of learn and develop is uniquely human. So I think our listeners kind of go like, oh yeah, I kind of get that. And then if you talk about, incredible achievements of like a Stevie Wonder or an Einstein or, you know, Michael Phelps, we can see people are like clearly so far ahead of, you know, they're just these outliers of incredible achievement. So obviously you can develop not just like a child, like who learns how to walk and talk, but you can develop way up into like the upper limits of human potential. And people have an intuition that that's also accurate. Uh,
1: yeah i mean well some most of us do i mean i think there is a subset of people who who believe in some sort of blank slate theory which is i think ridiculous on its face but um some people's ideologies depend on a blank slate theory in order Mm -hmm. to believe in you know sort of this notion of equality for all you know and when you have a very deep egalitarian instinct sometimes it it pays to believe that people are all equal, but we're not. I will never be a Stevie Wonder, nor will I ever be a Michael Phelps, a Michael Jordan, uh, an Albert Einstein. It's just a fact, and yep. you know. So, um, well, well, this is why I, that, I was trying to. Yeah.
0: This is why I was trying to point out these ones where most people have an intuition that it's accurate, but the controversy comes in when you start talking about whole populations, or when you start talking about the history of civilization and like. Well, do we really want to say that you know, this the modern way of doing things is better than the pre-modern way of doing things or is it just all relative? Like there is a there's a there's a some controversy within this territory and some of it I think is is worthy and some of it yeah becomes sort of ide- ideological like you said people like are sort of want to insist that like oh, well, yeah, d- development is sort of the exception rather than the rule and for the most part we're all just you know, a wonderful We're all human. collage We're all just human. of different things and just different, is not better or worse or more or less developed? We don't want to use the word development, you know, like or more or or greater or whatever. We're all just sort of like our unique little snowflake selves, which is actually <laughs> in true, partly true, right? Like it is, we are a unique little snowflake in terms of the, the combination of, of things that we have as individual humans. But like this idea that we all have the capacity, and we all do develop along some dimensions way more than other ones, and this has to do right. with just our our chosen career, our upbringing, or the just the shit that we like devote ourselves to with our hours, you know, of time, like getting more there, and more excellent at.
1: There is something to this idea of the ten thousand hours of mastery, but mm-hmm. it should never, for a moment, be Designed to stand in for the fact of genetics, (laughs) of genetic dispositions, right? You have to activate by virtue of that mastery. You know, you have to activate genes that you already come with. If you don't come with that set of genes or you are unable to express those genes through interaction with the environment, namely that there are genes to be expressed, then you're never going to. I mean, I can, it's like, People who, there, there's whole seasons at the beginning of uh, the show American Idol where they just have a ball showing some of the people who didn't make it. That's because right. Because they're so tone deaf. Yep. And I don't care how many hours those people spend trying to sing, <laughs> they're always going to be tone deaf. <laughs> and they're, you know, they may be able to. To bring it up a notch, but there are natural constraints and natural bounds to those limits. I yep. am never going to be able to do a reverse, especially at my age, but at no point in my in my life am I ever going to be able to do uh, a, a reverse 360 dunk on a 10-foot hoop. Not gonna happen. <laughs> Always wished I could, not gonna happen. Never was going to happen. And those are those are constraints that we have to acknowledge. Yep. But this isn't really about uh sort of genetic determinism. No. Um, because you know, we, we do share a lot of commonalities as human beings. I mean, as you point with childhood development, you know, Maria Montessori comes along and says, okay, you've got these constraints that, that more or less, uh, Jean Piaget and the yep. Piagetian model, uh, identifies and, uh, and you can pretty much align it with the, more or less this age group. And I think for Mon- uh, Maria Montessori based on Piaget was, um, you know, Before three years old, then three to six, and then six to nine. Mm -hmm. And then in those clusterings are more or less uh, of the ability to uh, abstract more and more. But in the three to six range, you concretize all of the things you learn. You want the kids to put their hands on it. You want the kids to do things that are very manipulable. And the reason for that is because human beings, generally speaking, share this phase these phases where they have to learn through concrete um environmental factors and are label are, are later able to abstract from those this is all human beings so of course we do share commonalities and common features but when you know when the kids were starting to do college calculus in high school some of my friends you know uh, i i had to just watch them go up into the stratosphere without me because I'm here to tell you, I can't do calculus. I don't, know if, I don't know if I have it in me. Maybe if I had done my 10,000 hours of it, uh, I, I could have, but I doubt it. These are folks that had the genes.
0: So, so this is super, uh, I want to I kind of start to talk a little bit about this interaction, right? We could talk, you know, we talked about Piaget. And if, if we think of this intuition, like ch- children develop these stages, Do the question is comes up, and this is called adult developmental psychology or just general developmental psychology rather than childhood developmental psychology. The question is, does it, does it keep going? Is there some way this kind of keeps going? And it's, it's kind of funny. Like I, I'm gonna to try to give a, a perspective that I think is somewhat common or typical. It's kind of like, yes, when you're young, you develop, right? And then this happens and that happens you get it. And then you become an adult adult aged or whatever, something like this. And the development sort of just like is over, right? It's sort of like, we're done now, right? Like you, you made it, whatever making it means, it, you know, it's like, but what is that? I don't know. You know, it's like, all right, we, we hit puberty and we go through puberty. Okay, cool. We're sexually mature. Or, you know, we reach our maximum height. Maybe that's part, you know, it's like, we're, we're not going to grow much taller or shorter, right? Like, and in a way at this point, we're just all sort of forking out. We're just branching out, specializing in our, Careers, whatever those careers might be, but we're no longer like developing. But then these other theorists, like um, uh, the adult developmental theorists, Lawrence Kohlberg, yeah, Kohlberg, Lovinger, Keegan, Abraham Maslow, they mm-hmm. are talking about this keeps going, right? Like if you want it to,
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah. And you know, one of the so you mean we don't stop uh, developing.
1: Cognitively, spiritually, emotionally, any of it. I, when we turn eighteen, I thought I was done. I, I knew I knew everything there was to know <laughs> That's when right. I was eighteen.
0: <laughs> right now, now this is—it's a strange thing because you know I don't like. In some ways, maybe there are certain kinds of you know language linguists basically say like, oh yeah, language acquisition sort of you know your your plasticity for language acquisition kind of ends when you're very young, right? And then at, or learning a new mm-hmm. language as an adult is very difficult or it's never quite the same. Right. But then there are some people who seem to have genius level of language acquisition and they can actually acquire, even as adults, new languages very quickly. And, and maybe they just have some brilliance in that particular dimension. Nabokov.
1: I think Nab, the, Nabokov succeeded in writing in the Olympics of the English language with the book Lolita, which he wrote in English, but uh, again, I just need to repeat that because this was his fifth language, which he acquired well into his adulthood. He wrote one of the crown jewels of the English language in the 20th century, if not the greatest book in Lolita in his fifth language. Amazing. I mean, and when I, when you look, I learned German in, in high school when I was still had some neuroplasticity with respect to language. And by the end of my having lived in germany during college no german it took germans about 15 or 20 minutes when i would meet them for the first time to to realize that i was not german because i would kind of screw up after a while yeah. but it would take me about 15 minutes to find. i'm like you know i would say Wie sagt man das in, uh, in english or something like that it was how do you say that in english um and they would just, as, oh, they're like, what, what are you? Are you not German? And I'm like, no, no, no. And, and I'm searching for the word or whatever. And they go, oh, cool. Well, you sound, you know, you sound really good. Yeah. But then I went and lived in France and I could never pick up the accent quite the same. Yeah. And, and in fact, when I, and I learned a lot of French when I was living in France, I lived there a year, but it basically has all gone away. Whereas the German has mostly stayed. Yeah. So There's something to all this, you know, um, uh, neuroplasticity stuff and then exceptions to it. And people with exceptions to it are truly, you know, stunning. And and by the way, there's probably also a difference between um, the accent phenomenon on the one hand and the grammatical structures, the words, uh, memorizing words and so on on the other. Yep. So it could be that Nabokov, you know, sounded heavily like Russian, but still wrote this amazing fucking book, you know? (laughs) Totally. I don't know. (laughs) I just don't know.
0: So one area that I think is sort of an open question, and it's something maybe I say I'd like to believe as, you know, a, a believer in the human potential movement or a coach or whatever, like that there's some amount of, you know, maybe it's a diminishing degree of plasticity as we age to kind of develop or learn new things, but everyone's got some amount of it. And, you know, maybe we have different areas that we like are like able to do it based on early development or genetic factors. But this idea that as adults, we can continue to grow and mature, I, I like to think, and maybe the science will verify this eventually, or maybe some people think it already has, you know, like that it, it's a, it's possible that everyone can continue development. And I want to, I want to. I want to bleep off here to the social dimension now. Like this this idea that we kind of like oh, we sort of end at a certain point the 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 people who are gonna famously try to track the interaction between the, the the most well-known one that I think in in the 20th century was Claire Graves uh who had his cyclical emergent model or something like this and he actually he actually called it biopsychosocial development because he wanted to kind of like merge yeah. these two dimensions, the, the evolution in the social and the evolution in the psychological. And if, and if our listeners are familiar with spiral dynamics and these, these kind of colors, stages thing that spiral dynamics has, that theory of spiral dynamics was developed by two of Claire Graves' students, Chris, Chris Cowan and, and Don Beck. And it was basically just a, a, a kind of a popularization, if you will, a development of, of his theory. But like this idea here is, it's almost like the, the society has built sort of educational constructs that take children from birth up to more or less wherever the center of gravity of the civilization is. And then we sort of say that there, we're done. Right. You know, but then if civilizations themselves kind of emerge further, you could say like maybe the the move from pre-modernity, you know, to modernity, which kind of is around this, whatever, 17th century period, you know, that like suddenly a whole new system emerges. And now what we do is we teach kids math and science, which we didn't used to do back then. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Let's 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 I think uh, I really
1: like uh, the the Gravesian model, which is, um, you know, spiral dynamics, uh, as I know, it is really the popularized version of Christopher Cowan and and Don Beck. So let's let's if you don't mind, let's talk about that model, the color, the color scheme is um, a little bit different from the Ken Wilbur version, which uses a slightly different colors. And I'm not even sure the reasons why he changed the colors, but or his followers change the colors. Nevertheless, I like the Beck and Cowan uh, version of it. I think it's quite good. I, I, I do think it has its limitations, um, but also in identifying those limitations, there's also much to recommend about it. Okay. So imagine, imagine that the the choice of colors in Spiral Dynamics, If you, if you, do you mind if we go through it? Let's porch? do it. Let's yeah. Yeah. And we can take turns going through each, each yeah. layer. Okay. Um, but imagine this sort of helical model, this double, double helices. Okay. And well, there's a, the spiral an ascending spiral. Okay. Mm-hmm. um, It's not double helix yet. There's another uh, variation on as double helices, uh, two helices, double helix, but for a moment, let's just imagine an upward spiral. Yep. And we're going to start at the bottom. And, and if you look at this three-dimensional spiral, upward-moving spiral, in your mind, just close your eyes, listener, and imagine the spiral going up into space. Uh, you will find on the right side of your mind are cool colors, okay, and the, uh, uh, sorry, the left side of your mind are cool colors and the right side of your mind are warm colors, okay? So starting at the beginning, take us through it uh, one at a time and we can take terms with the stages because I think I remember them. Cool. Starting with beige, which is a rather neutral color. What is that all about?
0: So the beige level, according to my understanding, this is survivalist. This is, you might say, the, the base level animal brain. Right. This is the part of you that's, you know, when you, when you're, when you're tired, you're going to sleep. And when you're thirsty, you're going to drink water. And when you're hungry, you're going to eat. And when you got to go to the bathroom, you're going to go to the bathroom. And when you don't have enough water or food, you're going to go looking for it. Right. And if somebody attacks you, you're going to protect yourself. Right. Yeah. And that's it.
1: Yeah. It's just your, it's in the, in the values that come out of those circumstances, uh, they call beige values, and they're the and it's just the values of do what you have to do to to continue to survive. That's it. Pretty simple. Yeah. So, right. So in the next in the next phase, okay. And while we're talking about these folks, just think about think about human beings and how they live together. How they're born. They're not. None. none of them are born on an island, right? Uh, as as as, or very few people are born. Uh, without anyone else in fact it's pretty much impossible so imagine then you have this survivalist uh, stratum the next stratum is purple and purple as far as i can remember is more um the values associated with the values and cognitive abilities of what it means to survive together in a clan or an extended family group Mm -hmm. these are small what we call sub dunbar groups. Right. If we were to think about how many people were talking about the values associated that that would be uh, stuff like respecting your elders and and not just the the living ones, but the dead ones, you know, animism, the idea that there's these mysterious forces in the world. It must be that there are spirits inhabiting the trees and the rocks and the this and the that. Mm -hmm. Right. There is a a magical element to it or the mystical uh, appears in this stratum. And we will note, based on childhood development, that uh, purple thinking also appears with kids, you know, about six or seven years, five, six, seven years old. There's a lot of magical thinking with kids, and it's really beautiful to see. They don't really distinguish between the real uh, and the magical, uh, not, not always anyway. And it's really easy to put stuff over on them about Santa Claus or fairies or this or that. And there's a reason for that, because... There is a in in the purple phase. At some point in our development, we had to have evolved this 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 attempt to apprehend the mysteries of of the environment around us. We also had to operate in clan groups. So fidelity to your clan group was also really important. Yep. Um. So that's purple.
0: Yep. I want to make this concrete just with a couple of quick examples. These two things, like. You know, my dad, he recently passed away, but he deteriorated with Alzheimer's for about 10 years. But as he was deteriorating, um, I I would say he became predominantly beige at his center of gravity, right? He really didn't do much or have any really awareness of the social world. And this is another, I'm introducing this now because it's another aspect of the the model. It's like the, the developmental model, it's not like you, you move you know, your entire self up this model. It's like, we all have all these layers within us, right? And if we were, you know, for some reason disabled uh, through like a like a catastrophic accident or something like this, or if you deteriorate cognitively, you actually sort of return to this predominant layer where, but basically my dad was just like, you know, sleeping and eating and drinking water and going to the bathroom. And that was it. Like there, there really wasn't anything else really going on for him. I mean, a few other things, but for the most part, the dad that we knew was kind of gone and he had kind of regressed, so to speak, to predominantly beige centered consciousness.
1: And, and of course, Claire Graves is going to say, that's why I put the bio on the bio psychosocial, yeah. because your feet always have to be on the ground. Yep. You always have to eat. You always have to go to the bathroom and defend yourself. I mean, these exactly. are things that it means to survive and it. never That will never, it never change. Yeah. It never goes away. So if we, if you think about the spiral is even going on around you as a person, if you want to imagine it, you're always going to have your feet on the ground. (laughs) You're always going to be connected to your biological self, which has needs.
0: And, And my purple example was like, I can remember magical thinking as a kid. Right, like, like it was Me like too. using the force, like I can make that move with my mind, or like I actually, I can remember when I was pretty young, I went through like a very short period where I was like, if I wished hard enough, I could just transform myself into a girl, right like this these these different of course you why why couldn't you do that right like it's almost like you just I wanted to be a demon with with
1: wings, I don't know what that means, but yeah, can you
0: grow, can I grow horns out of my forehead if I thought yeah. hard enough about it and it's like as a kid, these ideas. Are not implausible. You just well, why don't you just try? Why don't you just see like, you know, this this force of consciousness, how it interacts with the world in some real primordial level. And then the third one, which we haven't yeah. gotten to yet, um, this is red. This is the red level. I'm gonna I'm gonna do the red one, right? Since you did the purple.
1: Yeah, do it, do it. This is the egoistic, uh, the yeah. ego-centered. Totally.
0: So, you know, if you look at it on the individual development side, this is, you know, sometimes people say this is the terrible twos, or this is where you kind of tell if, if you've been a parent, the child starts to kind of assert its own boundaries saying no, like no, or sometimes like doing things that sort of seem a little manipulative of the parent, like trying to make the parent do, Oh, if I do this thing, they'll pick up the food. And then I do it again. And they pick it up again. I'm like, well, look at I'm controlling them. Like there's a little bit of this, um, uh, starting to exert a kind of like a power or control or manipulation over other things or other people like, or break it. Can I break it? You know, can I break the thing? You know what I'm saying? Or throw the thing or take it apart somehow, you know, or, you know, these, these kinds of manipulations. And in the social dimension, this is, and it's, it's a little bit weird to me that these are kind of equated. This is where I start feeling like I'm not, I get skeptical of the Claire Graves model sometimes. But these,
1: these, yeah, these warm these warm colors are, are egoistic colors. They're eye colors yes. rather than we That's colors. Right. So the purple was a we. Yeah, I want to I want to just you know yep. remind folks of that. The beige is just like a concatenation of all the colors. Yeah, you know, in a way, yeah. it's just it's just like mud. It's this existence. But then we we move to the social first. We move to the we first because we are born into clan yep. environments. But as you start to see people come out of that, including kids. Yep. Right. Uh, you 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 get this egoist totally. frame. totally. So
0: you know in in the historical developmental, this is the emergence of like chieftain centered clans. You could say this is the early version of the patriarchy. Potentially, like this this idea that um, you know maybe things that were more kind of like just purely hunter gatherer groups start to encounter each other and then they start to have warlike interactions, right? Like. And this is where the warrior the role develops within the clan, or this is where it starts to center around like, uh, like a predominant chieftain who's sort of, you know, the alpha, if you can think about it in this way, like, yeah, he,
1: he gets all the, he gets all the resources in the pussy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, because he can, right. And why wouldn't you, if you can, according to red values, you're a hero for vanquishing the foes. You get the treasure, you 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 drew the blood, you got the treasure, and the women are there for you, right? Yeah. This is the basis on which we think of in, in that those set of values of conquest, valor, courage. I mean, there's some very healthy values yes. in red. We tend to, at this stage in our civilization, think of them in an unhealthy light because no one, except for maybe like gangsta rappers, Thinks that getting the money and the pussy is necessarily a good thing because you can. I mean, it's it's uh, we think of those in, in very yeah. negative terms, but in in the in the context of someone who is able to protect the clan and really gain resources for your tribal group, even though it's motivated by an egoistic set of values of valor and conquest and um, and getting yours, it is still. Uh, beneficial to the community. So even though it's through the lens of the eye it benefits the sure. we. And so there's there's a lot of paradox in there, but um Well, whenever we're talking yeah.
0: about the social dimension, there's always intrinsically going to be a we in there, whether the emphasis is more on the individual or the emphasis is more on the collective. Uh, there's this particular Indeed. stage I it was a Bruce Lee movie, I don't know if it was Enter the Dragon, like the villain in that one. I think this is what he said something like um uh Sparta, Rome, uh, these civilizations of oh, the, the samurai in Japan, th- these cultures worshiped strength because strength made all other values possible. And this idea that you've got to have actually create something like security first, and then the flourishment of all these other things that we love about culture, like the arts and the entertainment and all this kind of stuff happens after you secure like the safety of the yes. group and that is the prerequisite. And this is why this value system comes in at this stage. And in a way, you could say this this warrior ethos undergirds the all future development of civilization at this time. And if you got rid of it, it sort of would go away. Like it sort of collapses into chaos. I happen to
1: be, I'm glad you mentioned the samurai um, because I happen to be a real admirer of Japanese culture uh, and Japan, everything about me Japan, too. I, I love, love the
0: Japanese.
1: It. I finally got to go a couple of years ago, and it was one of the most amazing experiences. And I'll come back to Japan in higher colors, uh, higher levels of psychosocial development. But in this red, uh, I've been recently watching this documentary on the samurai. It's on Netflix, and it's fascinating to see the absolutely bloody conflict between these clan, these Japanese daimyo clans vying for the, for power to unify Japan and bring about peace. I mean, this is really, this is the, you know, the Leviathan rationale, the, the Hobbesian rationale of in order to bring about peace, there must be one who wins and holds power over all others. This is the ring in the Lord of the Rings. This is the, you know, if you're going... If you're not gonna have perpetual conflict, you must have one. someone who is of supreme power. And if that's got to be Genghis Khan, and he, in order to do that, he's gotta have the money and the women, then give it to him, yep. right? Because you benefit from that being someone who's near Genghis Khan, someone who is uh, of service to him and as he ser- he and his armies serve you, your very existence depends on it. Because by the way, there's another warlord over here who's going to take everything from you if you don't show fealty to this right. one. And look, those red values are strong and they persist with us Well, today. You could
0: say develop, like from a, from a cultural development or, or institution development, this is this lens, this red value meme stage is really where we get the state or the proto state. Like this is where this comes from.
1: I like the proto-state uh, uh, language because I think uh, blue really, uh, really blows up so many of the values of hierarchy. Sure. Please finish what you want to say about red because I don't want to shortchange. Yeah, well, well,
0: one red. final one is you know we we talk about how we sort of see it at the terrible twos or historically with you know cultures like Rome or Spartans or samurai and and then uh you know i think it's still today in the warrior ethos kind of in a, in a validated way like uh in military you know hierarchy there's some amount of that kind of warrior ethos there you, you know there's <laughs> a few good men you need me on that wall right like <laughs> it's like yeah the, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that thing he was saying like jack nicholson yeah, and uh, um but then it it also sort of exists kind of in in the shadows, in the cultural shadows, like you know, the you know, I have Sicilian heritage and the Sicilians are famous for the Casa Nostra, the mafiosos, and this idea that they kind of developed these uh you know, violent like alternatives to the state, right in Sicily and in the east coast of the United States. and the way that they they kind of you know ran these this protection rackets right, but like these protection rackets were really a way for them to to regulate kind of uh, illegal commerce like black market shit. So you could you could sort of see this kind of you know proto state thing or alternative to the state thing wherever you kind of have like like a like a hierarchical power center, especially one that has violent enforcement in it. And this is this this is the, the red thing basically in, in all of its different variations,
1: we, you know, we talked about this on another episode with respect to the, to the medieval Japanese, but it's like, if you failed in your, uh, in your telos as a daimyo, as a samurai, you would be expected to commit seppuku, which is ritual and disembowelment, right? Mm -hmm. Violence, uh, That you bring on yourself in order to um, somehow cleanse yourself of your shame because you failed in your job as a warrior. So when you have this these warrior kind of values circling around you. You have to understand that they too are a means to survive in some evolutionary fitness landscape. Yeah. And the encounter of clan upon clan throughout human history requires violence as a counter to violence. And there's just nothing we can do about that. There's nothing we can do about that fact. Mm-hmm. And and indeed the subordination of one person by another is wrapped up in all of this. This is why, you know, most of human history is one of slavery and subordination. Yep. Um, they see it as, this is for me and my people, you and your people are instruments to that end. And this is how we survive and thrive in a condition of scarcity. And you better believe it was scarce in those days.
0: Yeah, totally. And you could probably feel it in yourself. You know, this is one of the things we would do sometimes in workshop land. It's like, how do you tap into that? Like, if we're making this claim, it's part of you still, like a lot of people really Mm -hmm. don't like this part. Like, especially, you know, in modern civilization, we, we rarely need to feel like I need to use violence to protect something important. However, if I, if I imagine, if I said, Hey, you're, you a parent of a small child? Right. Okay. If you, if you've experienced this and you said, well, now imagine, uh, someone is trying killed, to violate yeah, your, yeah. Imagine somebody yeah. is going to want to like kill your child and you're the only thing, you're the only person that can stop them
1: or sexually abuse your child. Exactly. The first thing that I would think of if I thought that someone was sexually abusing my child was how I would how I
0: would end them. Right. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you know, you can't help it. Right. And that's it. And, that's where you get to feel it for yourself is like, "Oh, there it is. Yes. There it is." Right? There it is. Yeah. Right there. That's right.
1: Yeah. Uh, I felt it uh honestly on 9/11. And I'm sorry that I did. Mm-hmm. But my first instinct is, "Okay, this is the system we've got." um it's time to it's time to crush them find them and crush them are they in afghanistan go and i was i was an advocate for the afghan war even though it turned into a 20-year um you know quagmire yeah but at the time the only thing i could think of was in them now right yep. and um that you know i didn't i didn't think of why that why i mean i you know i was aware of the counter arguments you got to understand you know the american forces are occupying their holy lands and you know they believe in virgins and this and that and they're trying to appeal to certain kinds of the you know uh the other culture the the other and i'm not trying to otherize. i'm just saying this is what red values do right um Is to say, look, you know, the, the, they have their own red values. Uh, they have their own purple values, you know, purple values for, for someone who is a devout, uh, Islamic terrorist would be, I get to be with all the virgins in heaven when I finish my mission. Sure. Right. That's the magical thinking. And the red is I, I, I must vanquish the great Satan infidels over there. Yeah. The infidels. Uh, and and that, because that's what makes me a good person in the eyes of Allah. Right. Right. Yep. So. So, but, but that red reaches its excesses, okay? Red reaches its excesses quickly, and it's it's easy oh, yeah. to see why. I don't want to stay in the anger, the seeing red uh, after 9-11. And, you know, with time and with with a little bit more reflection and restraint, I was able to come out of that. And so also are people who live in red and realize its excesses. And this is how we get to the blue phase. Let's do that one. Okay, blue stage blue in spiral dynamics. Now we're back to war, We're back to cool colors. The blue um, is really a values that that support and stabilize hierarchies once they've been achieved. And I and I don't just mean uh, I, I mean formalized hierarchies because formalized hierarchies evolve from. Uh, conditions of red conquest right Mm -hmm. you do have to have a system of subordination of rank and file of uh though of of caste yeah in order to maintain maintain that order but it also comes with values of of understanding yourselves as part uh, as part of a great more of like a chain of being or a um a hierarchy of being and and, and like the ideas like knowing your place that sounds crazy to us in modern civilization right now, contemporary civilization, because we're so egalitarian in our orientation now, but knowing your place was so important to social order, uh, and is important to social order for people who are are, are really in blue. Yeah. I can think of like lots of, uh, lots of countries right now, like, uh, in India, India still has a caste system, but it's not merely the caste system, the writ large, although that is also true. We can also think about, uh, Indian families, the place of a woman or a girl, the place, uh, and, and responsibilities of a man in these complex web of relationships that go along with that, that we can't even understand because we're honestly, culturally weird, weird at being an acronym (laughs) for this, that we can talk about later, but. Most of the earth is in blue right now. Mm -hmm. Okay. Most of the people on earth are in some flavor of blue. And I say that tentatively because I realize that that has its own problems of trying to hypostatize, which is a fancy word for trying to think of individuals as members of groups. But you see, I guess you could say, if you throw a stone into and hit a person on the earth, you're more likely to hit someone who's in blue. Yeah. We might call that in America modern conservatism. The conservative as religious conservatives, yeah, religious conservatives are very blue. Yep. Right? Yep. So we have you have a culture of honor, of respect, of um, deference to authority. You have uh, uh, respecting your elders. There's so many good and healthy aspects of blue i can think of because if you notice my accent i'm from north carolina and when i go home to rural areas in north carolina i know i have to say yes ma'am and yes sir as a sign of respect even though i look like a city boy not just because i want them to trust me but because that they are suffused in a culture of respect for one another that is a hallmark of being southern and it's a hallmark of people who don't have very sophisticated intermediaries to, to resolve conflict. You had to resolve your own conflicts, right? And to keep peace in a hierarchical state of affairs that had evolved in a prior stage from conquest, you have to adopt the eval- some of the values of hierarchy, including respect. um, Because everybody ha- does have their place. There are functions in society that are enormously important at these stages of psychosocial development for whole populations yeah right you know we can think of medieval times the lords the vassals the you know the king they all have their functions it wasn't just this this thing that where the kings got born lucky and the the lords and and everybody got lucky and the the vassals the serfs we're less so, we can look at it through that that lens, certainly, but we're looking, if we do, we're looking through a higher stage of development and not understanding the reason that you might configure society in such a way, given the circumstances of time and place at that time. Yep, right. Yeah, working the land as a surf to to bring about yields, so that the knights and the lords would protect you and everybody else in the kingdom yep. was a kind of fucked up exchange, but an exchange nevertheless. Yep. So blue is really about shoring up the values of hierarchy, but also under and and sometimes thinking of it in in re- religious dimensions, because obviously God sits at the top of kings and hierarchies, yep. right? And and it, God is the master who can rule over us all, bring peace because we know he's watching. Yeah, We know God's watching, and so we shouldn't hurt each other. We shouldn't try to um, steal from each other, harm each other, do all this stuff, because God's watching. At this phase of psychosocial development, that is a good and healthy thing to think. Because in the absence of any mediating institution, what else you got but God?
0: This this is interesting like you know historically I think w- what ends up happening is you know some some of these in- innovators like like a Hammurabi or or a Moses or a Confucius they kind of come along and they within one of these you know social st- hierarchies structures like whatever wars you know that stretch back to prehistory or you know battles between chieftains and such and they go hey check this out if we write this down right and then we say like this thing that we're writing down you know might be something that, you know, we as modern people look back on and go like, oh, this is just perpetuating or reifying a certain kind of social order, a certain kind of dominance hierarchy, which it, it sort of is from a certain point of view, but you could be like, well, they're, they're actually innovating for their time. They're like, Hey, let's not like, let's not have to revert to whatever the preferences are of the strongest dude around. You know what I'm saying? Like, Let's stabilize. Let's just say, and and they tell a story. They actually tell a, almost like a mythological story of like this is how it was always meant to be, and God decided that this is how it was always meant to be. You know, I went up to the mountain and He gave me the commandments or whatever it is. You know, this kind of story about like we're gonna write down a set of rules that essentially take the order that we already have and formalize it so that it continues into the future, and then we say let's tell a story, let's have celebrations, let's have rituals, let's have holidays, liturgical seasons or feast seasons or whatever you want. This whole this these whole body of social traditions that that essentially perpetuates the the value meme. This set of things that get installed in into children very very young and essentially this is all that you kind of know. And this is, this is why they feel very different from each other. Like traditional Confucian culture feels very different than traditional Islamic culture or traditional Christian culture or Jewish culture, whatever. They all have their unique flavors. Like there's actually a strong, almost like a thick, I think a uh, anthropologist called this, um, uh, what is it? it's not like, there's like lightweight culture versus heavyweight culture. I'm not quite getting the right, you know, like shallow versus deep culture. These these cultures feel like there's a lot to them. There's a lot of heft to them, for sure, for sure. But it, but the, at the
1: at the end of the day, though, the the patterns of overlap are profound. The
0: themes, the themes are similar, totally. The themes are very similar. Yes. And and as a yes. child, you can sort of recognize this. You know, when the kid is like, oh, you know, like I live in a world with other people. And, you know, when a kid's sort of like, am I supposed to do this? Am I not supposed to do this? Is this the right way? Is this the wrong way? Hey, dad, hey, mom, tell me, is this good or is this bad? Is that right or is that wrong? When your kid starts kind of like asking like what's allowed or what's not allowed, this is them kind of in that, at the individual psychological developmental stage, starting to touch into like, I'm in a world where there's rule sets and I want to understand what those rule sets are. Because that will enable me to succeed in this world of rule sets. They're not thinking about it at that level of sophistication. They're just intuiting it. But that's sort of what they're doing. And I remember, you know, like, mom, is this bad well, or is ba- good? Right? Like, that's the question. Yeah,
1: they're they're bouncing around in these invisible rules and learning from them, yep. almost through diffusion. But it's like when my ki- my kids do this all the time. You know, they they encounter, they forget to do they forget to do their their chores, and you know, they so they they don't get there. It's, it's like, I tell them, okay, you guys, by virtue of getting to live here, eat and just, and have me take care of you, right. Have to do certain things, but I'm going to give you an incentive anyway, in the form of an allowance. So I give them this big spiel and they're, they're looking around, picking their nose. They're not paying any attention to anything I'm saying. And then when they forgot to forget to do their chores or they don't do them correctly, I don't pay them as much. And they're like, ah, but dad, we, you know, they're, they're, they're angry for a minute. Yeah. And then of course, the, you know, it's like, but I provide to you. That is my function as father. That yep. is my place in this family hierarchy. Yep. Right. And if you don't do your chores, you don't get the good things. You don't get the good stuff. Um, you have a function as a member of this family. I have a function as a member of this family. We all have responsibilities to this hierarchical social order and it ceases to be a hierarchical when you're no longer dependent on it but as long as you are you will take orders from me you little shits you know what <laughs> I mean and they get yeah. it at over time yeah. they get their good boys uh my my little girl is is too young to appreciate this yet she hasn't even she's only seven months old she's still in beige uh, <laughs> b- uh beige if you like if you want to use the language here but you know um but the but my 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 five my five year old and my fourteen year old are are very much learning about blue values here at home
0: yep yep
1: and and that's okay i mean I kind of wish I had like my father taught me to say yes or no sir to him, which i did mm-hmm. um you know i i because um there is an there's an automating Factor with these values when you teach someone language, the language of deference, Mm -hmm. and I'm so glad that my dad taught me that. I'm so happy that he did, and I can't explain why. I it never uh, because I always respected him, even if I, you know, advanced or outshone him educationally or whatever, you know, advanced in my career or something like that. My dad died a retired truck driver, and yet I always will respect him. Yeah, and. Not just because he inculcated me, but because he he raised me to be a good person and to respect other grown ass people does that does that make sense? Yeah, that's people who have wisdom, yeah you know if you respect people who are older, they are likely to have wisdom. That is a good and healthy value of blue
0: totally
1: now. Okay. I, I've I've talked on and on about blue. Anything you want to add about blue or do you want to go on to the next uh, phase? A couple
0: of just quick things that will set us up for the transition. Again, here, you know, we, okay. we also see the formation of the early state potentially, or the idea of the kingdom. And and we actually mm-hmm. almost see these tent, this tension. You know, if, you, if you look at these kind of biblical stories or like old mythological stories, like, well, what makes a good king? Well, a good king is one who follows the law, right? Like in a way, this idea of like, is the king above the law or does the king have to abide by his own laws that he creates? And like, And then this kind of, we tell these stories So this, this king was a good king because he abided by the laws that he said. And this, this idea that the law is, is itself starting to like become ascend ascend and become equal to the king. Right. And it's not just like, it's whatever the boss says, right. Might makes right. It's actually, you know, the, the king cares about the kingdom lasting like after, right. He's gone. Right. This and I, I oh gosh, that is so funny, Porch.
1: Because I don't know if we have any British listeners, but on a on a on a program one time I was watching, uh, it was really odd because in the the idea in this program, and in, in American, almost in like Americana, in our yeah. lore, our constitutional lore, we always, in civic education, mention the Magna Carta. Yeah. Did you learn about the Magna Carta as a kid? Yeah. Well, in Britain, they don't learn about it as nearly as much as we do, which I find absolutely fascinating. Right. So we we have integrated the idea of the Magna Carta as part of our lore so that we have greater respect for the Constitution, because what that sets out is the limits to what the king can do in light of the law that was made. Just as you said. Totally. I mean, at that point, we
0: get full on, I think, you know, orange, a constitutional state. Well, and, and that's on the right. next stage. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So we're right at the top of blue there with the Magna Carta. We're, t- we're topping, we're going like, Oh, Oh, we're almost here. Yeah, we're almost totally. to the
0: next level. And what is, is the it? orange level? Uh, this is what we think about it is, you know, a whole bunch of things come in at this level, like the emergence of modernity, the emergence of the modern state, the emergence of, in, you know, in Western history, there's the, the emergence of these, um, Enlightenment philosophers, you know, people like Locke mm-hmm. and Mill and, you know, Hobbes. It's enlightenment,
1: enlightenment self-interest, enlightened self-interest. It's yeah. not the self-interest of conquest and, and you know, stepping over bo- dead bodies to get to some prize that you're bringing back to your clan, but rather the, the selfishness of the business person, the enlightened self-interest yep. from the butcher and the baker that we get all the good things that it's not because that they're, they're, they're being kind to us. It's because they're self-interested, but in an enlightened way, they've got to, they got to do what they got to do to survive. They're producing for us. They're serving for us. We got to give them something back. It's the notion of reciprocity of markets and of science. Science is a big part of it. What's that all about? Why does that come up in orange?
0: They're all of a kind, I think, you know, and, and at the time you, you, you know, this is, this is definitely a Western centric account of the whole thing. Uh, but I think, you know, historically this is where it, the West was where it sort of really emerged in a huge way over a sh- period of time. And, you know, the church kind of predominated the, the cultural world at the time, you know, the Catholic church and in, in the Western Europe and the Eastern Orthodox church and Eastern Europe. And this idea that, um, you know, like, God grants the power to the Kings, right? The ki- the power comes down and that we say what things are or aren't or what the tr- we're the arbiter of truth, these kinds of things. But, you know, a lot of, you, you, I don't think there's one clear cause and here's an effect, but like all these things sort of happened, you know, you could say, you know, um, Cop- Copernicus and the heliocentric theory or Galileo, you know, or, you know, these folks that were,
1: yeah, Galileo is really the a great example. I think he's, You know, he's in this hyper blue setting, right? Yep. Surrounded by the church. And, you know, he's really this this symbol of the Renaissance. Yep. But the Renaissance, you know, which is uh, (laughs) Renaissance is a French word for rebirth. Uh, Probably comes from a similar Latin word. But he's operating at a time when he's trying to get some elbow room. It's like, oh my God, I'm searching for truth. I'm finding out something. I'm, I'm trying to find out something about the world.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that is despite the proclamations of the church elders and, and the, the, the proclamations of power. Yep. It is It is despite it. So it is something else. So it's not just a rebirth, although that is also true because we have the, so much of this flourishing in the Greeks and the Romans yep. on the Agora, for example. But really, it 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 moves into into science and into like Baconian methodology, because there's suddenly this this eye-centered universe, this Cartesian notion: "I think, therefore I am." Yep. But goddamn, let me think. Let me think mm-hmm. on my for myself.
0: Yeah. Yeah, even that even that, I, we're, we're so ensconced in this, this idea, like you should think for yourself or like, you know, it, it's almost just like a platitude. Like it's, of course I should think for myself. Why wouldn't I? Of course I want you to think for yourself. Why, it's like this idea is it, almost just like the water we're swimming in in this era of, of time. But like, it wasn't really the, the idea that you should be thinking for yourself or that people thought that other people should be thinking for themselves was not common really all that much at the time.
1: That would that would had have been so subversive at that time. And it was that's why Galileo ended up in prison. Yep. You know, it's it's you know, you subvert the authority and the values of hierarchy by deigning to ask questions by thinking for yourself Everything you need to know is already in this book right here, which has been canonized and comes from God. Yep. What do you think you have? How dare you think you have anything to add to these scriptures, which are given to us straight from God? Yep. But we take it for granted today. Totally. Not because we have lost our religion, although some of us have. Yep. Some of us have lost our religion. But by and large, thinking for yourself is, it's like, it's a, one of the platitudes that we teach our kids. I want to teach you to think totally. for yourself. Yeah. But dad, you told me to think for myself. That's why I'm arguing with you. Yeah. <laughs> well, go do your chores. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is, I mean, there's so, there's, we could talk endlessly about this one and it's, it's very, very familiar. Just, just the thing for our listeners to keep in mind is like, this was new at a certain point in time it comes with a whole lot of things like, you know, Adam Smith's ideas you know, about, about markets and exchange and, and like, you know, these innovations, like, you know, the mercantile, you know, culture of Europe, you know, kind of centered around like fair trade and exchange and these kind of port cities or large cosmopolitan areas, the invention of the corporation, the Dutch did, and the English followed on with that. Um, limited liability, you know, you can see the roots of capitalism, right? The, the kind of like predominance of, you know, market forces as ways of kind of negotiating things rather than having them dictated from on top. This is where it becomes really big. And anytime you see historically, like, uh, you know, Socrates, right. And, in the, in the, you know, the up through, you know, Aristotle and, you know, his, th- this is a version of it that happened earlier on in the Western world. And then you could see potentially historical examples of this in other, like the, you know, the Indian subcontinent or in China. Anytime you see somebody who's like, oh, like, let me think outside the kind of like accepted norms of the culture and try to figure something out for myself, or like a, a, like a sort of a, a decentralized fair market exchange idea becomes sort of like, oh, let's just do it this way. You, this, these are the, you know, you could say this is like early orange, right? Orange sort of tends to emerge according to this theory, when you have an established social order, and then you can kind of build on top of it, these things that lead to uh, scientific discovery or innovation, or, you know, the, the building up of like, you know, profits or capital or industry and all these things kind of come out of this particular stage. But, but essentially it's based on a, a kind of a, Empiricism and a rationalization of the world around us and this idea that an individual human can uh to some degree figure shit out for themselves, which is a, there's a little bit of a, a mythology of orange in here as well, which I think is an interesting thing to critique. But you know, that, that idea, you know, we we see it developmentally in our teenagers, right? In in the kind of like l- let me question the authority, I'm gonna rebel against mm-hmm. the society. I'm not gonna accept the order that's being sort of imposed on me. And I want to figure out for myself what I really want to do with my life or with my career and this sort of thing. That's kind of, once you get enough, you know, psychological development as an individual, that's when you start feeling something like this desire to kind of like, what, who am I and what what do I want, you know, like as a, as a person. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, it's strange, you know, I I think
1: about a culture, uh, that, that is, and it's not to say to the exclusion of, of other, these other tiers or other bands of color, but I imagine going back to Japan for just a moment, straddling these two, a culture that truly straddles, if the, the weight of the left foot and the of right, uh, the right foot is straddling blue and orange. Mm-hmm. Okay. If you go into a Japanese corporation, the corporation is orange all day long. It is a, an orange construction. Uh, Right, Sony Corporation. I want to, or Toyota. I go to the top of top floor and I meet the president
0: Mm -hmm.
1: of 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 in Tokyo. Right. Yep. Of one of these major corporations. And what is the first thing that we do to each other when I enter the room? Bow. We bow. Right. So Japan is a culture that is firmly one foot in blue and firmly one foot in orange, and really, um, this. This persists to this day, yep. and it makes it such a beautiful culture. The thing about uh, you know and 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 look, and it's the same in uh, my home state, going back to North Carolina or here in Texas.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: you know, these southern states, you know they they're called the New South because the North you know developed so much more uh, economically, so much more quickly in orange, right mm-hmm. that they shed so much of their blue. But the South didn't shed its blue so much, and part of that is a factor of the Civil War, its dependency on ag- agriculture. agriculture, and 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 then you know obviously further back from that, slavery, um, which kept it sort of in the in the amber of of a uh, an agrarian society, which is usually blue. But as uh, you know, after Reconstruction and throughout, as the South starts to develop, I mean today you have so many of these fantastic. Uh, beautiful sort of like orange centers. My hometown of Charlotte is in, in uh, is the second largest banking center in America behind New York. And almost nobody knows that, but it is a mega banking center, hmm. you know, uh, bank of America is headquartered there. And, um, and, um, um, huge, huge, um, well, a bunch of other banks. Anyway, that, that fact coupled with this sort of rich culture rich southern culture that is still you know has all these blue values makes it very much like japan in this regard um they're very distinct cultural elements to japan that i find i find interesting um you know the desire to have things be perfect to practice things over and over again yeah. right yeah these things uh i don't know how you categorize those in terms of spiral dynamics, but I love that about the Japanese. That's not something so much you would see in a, in a Charlotte or an Atlanta or an Austin where I live now, but certainly it is, these are places with one foot in blue and one foot in orange. And that's, that's all I want to say about that.
0: Cool. Like I want to, I want to get us through maybe the next couple, maybe a little bit more quickly, but like, yeah, we, we definitely have to hit this, this postmodern green thing, which is the next one. Cause these right, are, these are right. the ones that are like, these are the, the current battle lines in our present day culture wars. Yes. And yes. you know, there's one way of looking at it as like, well, these are just different things. Another way of looking at it developmentally. And I think there's some ways of, of criticizing this entire model. Uh, but like, there's still some, a deep, a deep truth about this interaction between Individual development and social development. I'm hoping people are kind of at least grasping onto a plausible version of this in the form of spiral dynamics as we go. Right, right.
1: And look, the, you know, at every stage we've identified. I think we have covered that there's some excess or some unhealthy thing about that phase that is trying to break through into the into the next phase. Yep. And once that breakthrough has happened, there's a bleeding through effect. Yep. That that I and I don't know I don't know if if uh, Claire Graves or Don Beck or anyone else would describe it as this, but there's an upward pressure into what is going to become the next thing, and this is a result of what they do say of circumstances in the environment changing. Yep. Right. So, for example, um, in 1970, between 1960 and 1970, it was probably uh, the the time where well, I, I think you could go back before that. You could go back to Dickensian England. Yep. Uh, you could go back to um, to the Romantic era.
0: Rousseau. Yep.
1: Mm-hmm. The counter and the counter
0: Enlightenment really is the early earliest the counter Enlightenment.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think you can view in some in some respects the 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 modernity uh, uh, the Romantic part of modernity as the counter enlightenment in some ways it's the let's be a little more communal let's uh, the values of this stage are there's so many excesses with this brutal industrialization that creates so many inequalities so many inequalities of outcome um the way we make decisions together is always because of some asshole ceo or some leader over here which is vestiges of blue that have made you know that have Arisen, but instead in orange, the people who make the decisions of the person people who have the most money, not the people who have the most religious authority. Yep. So yeah, these dominant dominance hierarchies persist in these big companies, and these factory workers are treated like shit. Yep. So what do we do about that? We see this, and we feel like there's something wrong here, and it starts to green starts to exert itself. People need to have a voice. Everyone needs to have a seat at the table. Let's all figure out how to get together and and love one another right now so it's 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 kind of a hippie phenomenon yep right between the the, the most pronounced reaction to orange in america was the 60s yep right and and it's it's really the first explosion into green gr- the green meme which is another we centered idea or uh, versus an i centered notion and in green, we got this. Um, we got we not only got the values of of what you might call the hippie era, uh, which is you know more communal, more egalitarian, more about consensus. Like, hey, I want to check in with you. I want to make sure that you're okay. Are you okay with this? Or am, am I okay with this? Let's talk about it. Let's let's achieve some sort of consensus, community consensus. Uh, and it's and it's not the community of the clan. It's a much more cosmopolitan view of community, a more egalitarian view yep. of community. The idea that you could be a world community. Yep. Um and, and 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 so this these green values start to predominate. And and one of their more unhealthy aspects, I'm going to argue, and not all of our listeners are going to agree, but one of the most unhealthy healthy aspects of it. Even though cognitively and intellectually, I think there's a lot to recommend about this cultural relativism stuff. Okay, um, is where we start to get the seeds, of both in postmodernism
0: mm-hmm.
1: and in the the memetic warfare that has come out of postmodern uh, modernism and critical theory. Yep. So. Oh, I'd like to get you to react to that in, in, in without spending too much time in green, because I think it's really interesting. Because you're right, the culture wars today, I think, I think and I think well, Ken Wilber is totally right. The mean green meme, which is taking this these values too far into an unhealthy place is really the summum bonum of woke culture right now, you have these healthy values in green. And yet, Woke culture abandons most of them in favor of of uh, uh, of egalitarianism at all costs. Yeah. For example.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, let's. I'll do a little healthy and then unhealthy because I think there's a lot of yeah. innovations and and whether you think you know what's great about the green meme is really just actually rooted in rooted in the enlightenment theory. Habermas actually thinks of it as just really an extension of the enlightenment project. Or if you think about it as like counter to the enlightenment in a kind of more, you know, Rousseauian counter enlightenment way, the idea is, you know, anytime you see these social movements, like, like Dickens caring about, you know, the, the, the poor and the, you know, the, of, of industrial England or, uh, you know, Marx or, you know, writing Das Kapital and critiquing the capitalist system or, uh, You know the 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 suffrage movement, or let's break up the trust the trust busting of the progressive era in the early you know 20th century of the U.S. Like this idea of like, hey, like let's let's improve conditions. It it has a little bit of a like um. We don't just need to keep you know more more more. We don't need to keep just like build more. You know it's like we can actually take some of the more like this surplus that we've had and like use it to just improve conditions for everybody. Right, like, why do we have you know? We used to send kids down into the coal mines. We don't do that anymore. We have childhood labor laws that stop that from happening. It's like, you no, know, we can debate as to whether the state regulation or or um uh you know it has market has upsides and downsides. Yeah, market right? forces would have done it. But but in either case, the the ethos of a kind of like a pro social thing, you know, any kind of social movement to reform a thing or make it better is really kind of that feeling that, that progressive feeling, which is kind of the, the healthy expression of green. Like this idea that we can take all that we have like established in modern Western industrial, you know, liberal capitalist society. And it, it doesn't have to just like, you know, just the stay the same, just more of the same, but we can actually like improve things. Right. And this is where we get Gay marriage comes out of this, or let's take care of the environment comes out of this. All of these things kind of come out of it. Um, and there's like there's almost like a device that's used to do this, which is like, well, you've got to question the narrative that's being given to us. That is the narrative that's used to just like fortify or buttress the power structure as it currently exists. And you gotta kind of like poke holes into it somehow. So then you what you gotta do is you gotta talk about like you gotta create a counter-narrative, whatever this is. You know, if it's like, you know. Howard Zinn's People's History of the United States. So you're creating a narrative about like what's the stuff that they left out of the history books, right? And we're going to we're going to deconstruct this thing or we're going to show how like, you know, it's 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 implicit in what's being said. It's not explicit, right? This is a a narrative that like the powerful elite are using to justify their own existence. This type of device. You, you can call like a mm-hmm. critical a critical social approach, you know, or or critical mode that you know is really forwarded by it was like Horkheimer and Weber and those guys in the, the Frankfurt school kind of originated this. These were sort of like, you know, Marxists who were kind of trying to evolve the theory all the way up to, you know, the hippies and stuff. Yeah. Let's, let's try to like deconstruct this thing by, you know, analyzing its language or analyzing its power or thinking about who benefits. But the, 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 the thing with that device is it's sort of like, um, It's almost like a a universal demolisher of everything, right? Like you can always use it. Like no matter what the thing is, you could just deconstruct, you can, you can use it to deconstruct itself, right? I mean, you could, it's, it just implodes upon itself. It's just a funny thing where you're just like, well, that, that can't be right.
1: Well, and it's, it's, it's the, the, there's, what's interesting about postmodernism is there is they identify the fact of power in yeah. language and that has got it. It's got going for it. it. It's, and it's a very specific kind yep. of claim, but what, and, but at the same time to make such a claim requires the abandonment of some notion of orange, which is capital T truth and seeking truth. Yes. Right. And, at a certain level intellectually, I agree with that. There is no capital tr- T truth. We can go into all kinds of reasons why that will take us to many, many philosophical totally. depths. And yet I see the problematic nature of the green meme and of postmodernism in jettisoning truth because it it's so easy to default to this position that all you have to do is say something enough times to make it so. And they still don't believe that's true, it's just an act of power. So you come into your power as this critical theorist. You just make shit up. Now, they wouldn't say that you would they would say it as something like of a, a speech act of power, um, you know, or contra power or something like that. Even, you know bizarrely speak truth to power comes out of the green meme but there's nothing to do with truth half the time it's only a grain of truth that makes it remotely plausible usually when when these when these folks are, are using these kind of devices and then you get this weird phenomenon of like okay if i can just make assertions and if enough people make these assertions in solidarity it will form the simulacrum of truth yeah then we can use that solidarity to form a an alternative power structure that we can inhabit and that has to sure. get funding and so that's how you, you that's how you have all of these these people these enclaves of uh, you know set up in the education departments of major universities and these all these academic centers all of these you've got these hr departments now that have been con- colonized by this this kind of yep. green meme and there's actually, it, bizarrely, it's, there's like a market for it now. So every time, and they know they need to continue to expand their ranks and expand the the resources that are going to those positions by continuing to make these claims. Yep. The more you make the claims, the more the companies feel like they need to have a diversity, equity, inclusion officer or something like yep. that. But all, and it, so this it, it forms this negative feedback loop. I mean, sorry, it's a positive feedback loop. But it's negative in the sense that it's destructive to, it's destructive to the social order that may or may not be guilty as charged.
0: Right. Yep. Yep. Right. Totally. Yeah. So, you know, as you, as you said, all of those things, you know, I, I can feel the part of me that was like, oh, let's, let's talk about the good things about green. But also I want to, I want to kind of move on past it to, to a degree like, and go back to our theme here, right? Like we rabbit hold on spiral dynamics. Yes. And you know, there's, there's a little more to it. There's actually a couple of color colors to come, but it, it, this right. is really the dividing of these past three, these final three, the, the traditional, the blue, the orange, the modern, and the green, what we're calling the postmodern. These actually form the battle lines of our current culture wars. Um, and you could yeah. think of them as developmentally or, or linearly, or maybe you don't like to think of them in that way. Um, you know, this, the, the idea that we could critique. This entire social developmentalism altogether, right? This is actually one of the things that Green likes to do, which is to say, like, there is no social progress. There's just, you know, the changing of hands of coalitions of power from one to another, and it's essentially random. You know, like, uh, you know, you could you could take um, you know, a kind of a romantic view, a Rousseau view. It's like actually, you know, the the bygone past, you know, the, the noble, the noble savage, like, which is like a word, it's a term you are not supposed to use anymore, but like what whatever, like, you know, the, the indigenous peoples, you can feel that, oh, they had it right. And everything that they do was, was superior. Oh yeah. And we have just corrupted it with the past 12,000 years of agricultural society and religion and science and industry and all this kind of shit. So we should go back. You know, the other one you have is traditionalism. This is kind of these, um, there's forms of it in Catholicism or Judaism or Islamism, which is kind of like, Hey, you know, we need to go back to re- reinstituting religious yes. code as the supreme law of the land, like Sharia or whatever, or Catholic integrism is a, is a version of that in the Catholic Catholic movement. And like, that's the way we should go. We should go back. Right. With like this, this is, this is a thing where the, you know, the
1: Australians, uh, Australians are really today. Um, Uh, going through their crisis of conscience about colonizing australia and of course their indigenous population there indigenous australians um you know the green meme in australia is really profound and 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 um and it has healthy aspects and unhealthy aspects one of the healthy aspects i i truly believe is the veneration of the wisdom of of indigenous australian people but the problem with it is they're taking it to such a degree of apotheosis, but by virtue of their sort of green meme, which is saying, let's go back and pick up purple and live by purple. Yep. But in our own distinctly Western way. So so the the green the green meme adherents in Australia, who are most always white people, uh-huh. um are saying, let's go we we did wrong. We not only did wrong by them, but we need to completely go back to living just as they have lived ever since we arrived right so it's almost like green is proposing retrogression yeah both in the in 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 the, the broad sense of human development and progress but also in the sense of um of psychosocial human development to say that they they had it all along they had it right all along it's this 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 ancient wisdom of of the indigenous Australians, yeah, I can understand why someone would want to think that to absolve themselves of the guilt of being the inheritors of a colonial past. Right. But there's no going back on the spiral of psychosocial development without serious problematic bloodshed.
0: Yeah. No. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and you know, there are some people like Ted Kaczynski who believes that we should. Right. He's gonna bomb yeah. us back into the Stone Age. You know, if he could. Right. But you know, he's luckily in prison because
1: we're, we're maggots on the planet. According to Ted Kaczynski.
0: Let's, so what I love about what you're saying here is, is there's like something very interesting at this transition. I sometimes think of green as more transitional from orange to the next stage, which is yellow in the, in the spiral dynamics model, but, but I want to take mm-hmm. a little bit of a detour before we come back to that model. Cause in a way, you know, here we are summarizing this in-depth model that other people came up with. And, and I think there's some things I want to add to this conversation that I think, I think of as my critiques of these types of models, which is, um, they often exist in a certain like linear type of geometry or a spiral geometry kind of has like a linearity to it yeah. where it's like, oh, but this is, it's going somewhere. And I think if there's a, if there's a, a concept that comes from Darwin really, but also interestingly is echoed in this kind of green thing is it's not, I don't think it's really actually going anywhere necessarily. Right. Like the, the tree of life in the evolution, biologically speaking is a tree structure, right? Like it's not like this old chain of being, you know, with the, you know, like there's the, the primate on the left and there's this upright human on the right. And there's these different, you know, <laughs> up and to the right sort of progression. Yeah, yeah. That's actually, th- this was actually a pre-Darwinistic versions of evolution. Evolutionary theory actually had a, a pre-Darwinistic phase and there was a bunch of debates and Lamarck was. Yeah. Lamarck yeah, in the yeah, evolution. Yeah. And, and, the, and the great yeah. chain of being theorists and this idea that like, you know, humans are atop top of a thing and everything sort of leads up to us or something. And the monkeys are down below it. But if you think about it from a Darwinistic point of view, right? Like the tree of life kind of goes all the way back to whatever the origin of life was on earth. And it just sort of keeps branching outwards and all of the species and all the organisms that are alive today, we're really just sort of like the outermost leaves of this gigantic tree that goes throughout time. Right. So in a way, you know, and, and, uh, you know, certain like Stephen Jay Gould, and there's there's a certain kind of like Marxist leaning biologists who love to emphasize this aspect. And this is where green and Darwin sort of interact a little bit like this idea of, Hey, it's not going towards one specific place, like a teleological progression. It's actually just Mm -hmm. expanding in its degrees of complexity. And, you know, it might end up going this way. It might end up going that way. And I think it makes sense in a way that a lot of this deconstructive postmodern green meme thing is trying to be like, well, well, too, too, it's been growing too much over this way. So let's make it go over this way. Right. And who's to say that this way is not the progressive way. And that way is not, you know what I mean? Like you can.
1: Well, there's two, two, two responses yeah. to that. I mean, one is that we have to remember that, 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 that Graves and, and Beck and yep. Cowan all said that these values and the the corresponding cognitive developmental aspects of this mm-hmm. stuff, uh, that these emerge. And by the way, there's emergence, not not a not a decision. It wasn't a day when somebody says, "Hey, here's a green flag over right, here." Totally. Right. These are it, it. It is there's a there's a a, a set of evolutionary pressures around you that are contrived and are natural both and and humans are going wait a minute something's wrong with this something's not right and they're looking for a different set of norms values whatever and a few of them perhaps have the cognitive capability to do so this could be a process that happens at random and it could be a pro but if we really think of this as an evolutionary phenomenon It is, it is going to happen as you say, uh, by virtue of what is needed for to, to survive and thrive in the surroundings. That's the first thing. The other thing is we can't forget that in the in the spiral. And this uh, this is this is not a critique of the spiral dynamics, folks. Mm-hmm. This is this is actually, um, I think, an important feature of the theory, is that you embrace and transcend all of the prior stages. Mm -hmm. Now you might think that, you know, there is some sort of equilibrium over here. So it's like people who are living in this orange setup over here are fine. They don't progress. They don't change. They don't ever go into green or retrogress into blue or anything like that. They're just sort of hanging out in this little commercial city over here. But but anytime we we regard those folks. We have to realize that deep inside them, if you mm-hmm. like, is blue, is red, is purple, is beige. Yes, you never can shed yourself of the prior stages, and there are good reasons for that. Both cult, both in terms of the cultural development or outgrowth of these phenomena, but also, also because. In, in some sense, that's what it means to be human. Yes. <laughs> because as you said, this reflects itself in devel- developmental phases of kids. Yes. It's not a perfect match, but it's it's there. And it's interesting that as we've been talking about this, we've we've given examples from history, but we've also given examples of psychological development. Yep. We could probably also give examples of our own personal reactions to certain situations that could be more on the red side, more on the blue side, more on the orange yep. side it is biopsychosocial. It is all of that shit. And that makes it less trustworthy as its theory because as a theory, because a lot of people would argue it's trying to do too much. What do you think about that?
0: Well, I mean, this is, this is yet another kind of critique of the spiral dynamics and the Gravesian model versus some of these other people who have tried to like split out a Kohlberg is like, I'm just going to focus on moral development or, you know, uh, Keegan, I'm just going to focus on cognitive development and not try to Mm. connect this thing over here with this other social, social, historical, developmental thing over there. And, but you
1: said something a minute ago that was really interesting. And I think is, is, um, both critical and, and part of the theories could be critical of and part of the theories. What you said was, and I, I hope you'll expound on this for a moment that all of these phases of development. Whether from Kohlberg or or uh, Keegan or Claire Graves are about, in in some respects, not just responses to environmental factors, but complexity. Yeah, talk about that for for just a minute, if if you don't. This mind. is the
0: idea that it's not like it's not like better or worse. It just becomes a little bit more like a nuanced. So, you know, we, we can kind of, if you think about your critical thinking class, or if people is very popular to talk about cognitive biases these days, and like if some of these things like, it's like a, you know, either or thinking sometimes it's called the black and white fallacy, right? It's like, oh, it's like, well, it's either got to be true or it's got to be false. Right. Or, um, you know, wh- ways of, you're either a Republican or a Democrat. Right. Yeah. (sighs) Yeah. Politics gets collapsed into the left and right thinking. And, you know, in a lot of ways, you know, people always think it's other people that are committing these like lack of complexity or less nuanced thinking, but I'm the one who's got the nuance kind of thing. And, you know, the truth is, I think a lot of people have the place where they kind of collapse onto more simple thinking. And then when you kind of get an more nuance you might oh yeah, this is my this is my hobby horse of where the nuance comes in, and let me tell you all about the nuance of whatever it is, you know, race relations or something like this. I'm the nuanced one and and the thing is like I think there's always nuance possible, and this is really I'm just kind of using this word as as maybe just another substitute of complexity, but these c- complex complexity of cognition is to kind of recognize that, you know, a, a human body, a a, a, social, a society, a social system is, you know, in, in math terms, like a complex dynamic system. And there's not a thing, you can't just go like, this is caused by that, right? There's actually multi-factor causes on all these kinds of phenomenon. And even, you can even get deeper into like epistemics and be like, Well, what what do we mean when we say a certain word? Define your terms. How do you measure that this word applies or this word doesn't apply? Or we create degrees or shades of gray. This is not a. It's not like there or not there, but it actually exists like like a percent. Like what percent is it there? Like almost like a like a Bayesian probabilistic reasoning. What is the likelihood that this is this explanation fits or not? And like this type of complexity of thinking, I think. I have found uh, with a lot of the people that I know who I have like remained connected with over the years, eventually you talk and think about enough things, and you kind of hit this place of like it's 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 almost like well shit's just too complicated to really totally understand it, or this other idea that like whatever I think my understanding of what the hell's going on is, I know is incomplete, right? Because I've updated and changed my mind before I'll probably update and change my mind later. Sometimes I thought, you know, I painted everything with one brush in this particular way and actually break it apart. And there's other parts underneath there. I mean, you could even, you could even say the spiral dynamics color model isn't complex enough. Right. It does sort of like deletes nuance out of these things. But like, I I do think, you know, the ability to embrace complexity thinking is, is a, Big chunk of humble pie, really, right? It's, you know, like Nassim Taleb goes on and on about black swan events and shit like this. It's like the unknown, unknown, where we really just kind of don't know. Like sometimes shit will happen and we'll be like, this doesn't like a a surprise factor, but like uh, somebody who's embraced complexity sort of anticipates that there are such things that they could be surprised by and that that's going to have an impact. It's going to actually potentially ripple through your belief structure. And rather than kind of be like, let me firm up my belief structure to like delete that. Like, that's not a real thing, right? Like instead, how do I incorporate it?
1: This is, uh, I think a good, a good, because uh, we can sort of dance within and and outside of regarding this, regarding the framework that we've been talking about, but also within, within it, uh, from without and from within, uh, because I think it, uh, the, the yellow Stratum of psychosocial development. Yeah. If, if you want to buy that, um, is goes to second tier. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- I don't remember if Claire Graves was the one that broke it into two tiers. I think that was Beck and Cowan. I
0: don't know if Cowan did that. I'm not sure. There's a big schism within yeah. that community about this.
1: Well, Don Beck certainly believes that there is a seismic yeah. or uh, just a giant chasm a quantum leap between green and yellow. Uh-huh. And you said earlier in the program that you thought that it was almost like a transitional phase to yellow, which I found really interesting. Um, now, they believe that there's a, a huge quantum leap between green and yellow, I tend to th- agree with them on that point. And, but it, it's important to talk about what yellow is for just a moment, sure. yellow, and it's uh, corresponding set of values is really, uh, it's another eye centered set of values Mm -hmm. right but the you're you can it's paradoxical in the sense that you can sort of take the eye out of it you might start with i am epistemically humble before this set of truths because i don't know everything that i can't know everything under the sun because so much of the world around me is a property demonstrates the property of emergence yes and not design or planning yes right so you're comfortable with the idea of emergence emergence being the phenomenon where you get all of these by virtue of either simple rules or protocols agents operating within an increasingly complex system can give rise to an order that we could never have planned like a great barrier reef of civilization or nature or whatever the fuck you're trying to think about right and That epistemic humility of yellow is like, wow, not only do I see where I came from all of a sudden, because this yellow, this yellow sunglasses in some way makes me look back and see that I've got, that I've got beige, red, purple, blue, orange, green in me. Yeah. Right. I can see that now. Oh my God. And I can see that I need to use these different values in different contexts, according to the likelihood of my being successful or not in those contexts. You become that, you know, second tier thinkers become much more, uh, they they become much more versatile in their use of all of the colors and all of the values and understanding the circumstances of time and place for which they're important. But yellow is also good at at identifying emergence and emergent systems and constructing the protocols of emergent systems. And that is what makes it to me, uh, Don Beck in a, in a speech, I heard him say live one time that this was, this was the master color. Hmm. This was the master color. This is, and I, he, he probably said this because he knew he was sitting in a room full of greens and he absolutely was. (laughs) Okay. Trying to like get them to come on to yellow was to say, this is such an important, you know, he might have been manipulating his sure. audience. I don't know. But I think there's something that has independent level of truth to it in that once you you start to see the matrix. Yes. When you ascend to the second tier. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the beyond that is just degrees of complexity. Can you think in holonic terms? Can you uh, not only respect and venerate emergence, but in some sense, apotheosize it, which is to give it a spiritual dimension and to see sort of this planetary uh, totality. And once you do that, you then begin to leave yellow and go into turquoise where you see this planetary Holonic emergence and interconnection. This holistic version of yellow, right? That's what turquoise is. So I just quickly describe those because I know we're running out of time. Yeah. Because I want because people who fancy that they're in yellow and turquoise think they've got it all figured out.
0: Yeah.
1: Right. And and I I pick on people in in the spiral dynamics group I belong to online because I I, I frequently say to people, uh, you know, they're, they're picking on capitalism or something saying it's rotten. Orange is just rotten and it's ruining the world. Right. And I tend to think, you know, and I'm a very orange oriented person. So I tend to think that green is, is ruining the world. And I'm, I speak disparagingly about woke, even though it has greens of wonderful and healthy aspects. Woke culture has healthy aspects to it, but has just gotten out of control in my view. It, it, it's important to, as one who's if you believe you've ascended to the second tier and especially cognitively uh to to be more circumspect in your analysis about other value yeah, memes totally and 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 you do so by virtue of reckoning with the extent of complexity yes. and i i i don't want to i don't want to be too reductionist about that but if i had to to bring a strong emphasis to the conversation, I would say that reckoning with the fact of complexity at different stages really is a, a through line to some of these systems. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that, at least as an intellectual heuristic.
0: Totally, I, I don't think there is either. I mean, you're you're touching on something that's essential to whatever this is thing that comes after green. And I wanna take a step back from you know whether it looks like what, Beck and Cowan and Graves and folks said yellow and turquoise, or, you know, or Ken Wilbur say it is, or whether it's something else. And let's see if we can develop an intuition for it. Like, even this whole conversation is part of that. Like, you could say this idea that we can see something like individual development and something like social development through history, and we can see the ways that these kind of interact with each other is itself a, a style of thought which we could say has some of these qualities of complexity to it, right? Like, or to notice patterns, like instead of saying like, well, you know, uh, Buddhism and Islam and Confucianism and Hinduism and Christianity are all just different. Look at how different they are. Instead you go like, but look, look at these themes that emerge across cultures in their most traditional formats, right? Oh, strong dietary laws, you know, strong regulations around sexuality and marriage and reproduction. Like why do all these things, even if they differ in the details, why are they, why do they all do a similar sort of a thing, right? Like, oh, that's a pattern that sort of, we can sort of see a thing that's, a, that's an, it's an indicator of this style of thought that we're saying kind of is this, whatever this is, whatever comes after the postmodern thought, right? This integral thought or this yellow thought, tear thought, or, you know, teal in Ken Wilber's colors or, or whatever. Like I'm trying to poke at, like, where do we start to kind of feel it? Another one is this, this is one I I wanted to kind of bring back to whatever degree I have skepticism about any particular model actually being the right one in terms of like this, you know, we, we look backward and it looks like a trail. It looks like we had this road and we went and we were here and then we were here and they were here, but like looking forward, it's like a tree. It's like we're, it branches and we don't know exactly where it's going to go, but it sort of seems like kind of it's going in this general direction. But even if you are like, "Ah, I don't like, you know, some people are like, you know, I really like, you know, this developmental theorist way better than this other one. And here's why. And people get all nitpicky about why this developmental model is better than another one. But if I step back from all of that and say like, is there a truth just generally to this pattern of development? I think there is. And we actually see this in some flavors of evolutionary theory. So, you know, we talk about uh, animal domestication, right? We domesticated agricultural animals like cows, you know, or sheep and goats. We also domesticated things like dogs and cats to be kind of companions to us, like emotional support or spend time with us or, you know, protect us from rodents and whatever, you know, warn us of invaders. It's like, wow, well, this is a co-evolutionary dynamic, which if you go to evolutionary biologists, they're like, oh yeah, there's coevolution all of the time, right? Like you can see these co-evolutionary dynamics, you know with the you know the birds that you know take the whatever out of the teeth of the alligator or something, you know, like I'm making a thing up here, but this coevolutionary dynamic is is real. and like this this idea that you know species are not just like fixed in some form, that they actually interact over time and affect each other on evolutionary time scales right? And we can see over the human history, we have like done what's called not natural selection, but it's called artificial selection, where we create a certain effect to like create these weird versions of like wheat or corn or dogs or cats, right? That probably would not just like evolve naturally except in relationship with human intention, right? And then there's, if you take that idea and go like, well, have humans domesticated themselves? Like, have we actually constructed, essentially, an incentive feedback loop through our institutions and our history and our narrative and our language and our laws that has actually had a selection effect back upon us as humans? I think it's true to some degree. I mean, transhumanists talk about, oh, you know, like, is CRISPR. We're going to modify our genome or blah, 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 blah. We're going to become cyborgs. Probably. But you could actually look back for the last twenty thousand years ago, like we've actually already been altering and shaping our evolutionary dynamic through this. And my my favorite um, this this guy is hardly known. His name is James Mark Baldwin. He died in 1934, but he's famous for coming up with something called the Baldwin effect, which you know prior to Darwin, Lamarck had this idea of like Lamarckian evolution, like it's sort of like oh you 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 use it and then it kind of develops it and you pass it along to your children, right? The Baldwin effect is this clever way of kind of seeing how you can get a, a a Lamarckian-like effect in a Darwinistic way. And it kind of is through this feedback loop over time. Like, hey, if, if somehow uh, conformity to the to the social construct helps you reproduce better, well, then you should actually start to see some biases and like maybe personality traits that are more compliant, like to, to rule of law, or you, you know, like if we take this difference between the emergence of red and the emergence of blue, well, you would expect, uh, blue level civilizations to do things like, you know, kill the sociopaths more often, which we, we kind of do, right? Like we, they're almost these, you know, like, a we're almost like obsessed with them on like our TV shows, right? Like the, you know, about like the these crazy killers, like a Ted Bundy or something like this. And we try to actually filter them out of the population. Like so you can, these are kind of extreme examples, but I I do think the mechanism of of this of an evolutionary dynamic that is an interaction between the social cultural matrix, the institutions, the technology and the culture, and our development as individual humans, our psychology, the beliefs that we end up acquiring and even potentially reflected in our genes given over a long enough period of time, like is plausible. Like, and and that ability to see that itself is this, is an indicator of integral or yellow thought, right? Oh, of course it's not this way or that way. It sort of emerges.
1: Well, and this is this is one of the sort of deep concerns I have. Okay, and part of this is uh, is because of I'm biased. Okay, and I think you're right in in your critique. For example, if we were to think of yellow, if we think of the spiral as a hierarchy of better, right, better than, which is wrong. You said it spreads out as a tree. As a in tree-like mm-hmm. fashion or in vascular fashion, based on different aspects or circumstances of of time and place around those particular branches, yep. right? It might not look like very much like a spiral at all. The spiral is is, you know, in in the form that we're used to seeing it rendered looks very hierarchical. So we start to you get all these people who are like, oh, I'm so turquoise, I'm turquoise off the charts turquoise, right? And they think of themselves as yeah. these. These, you know, um, I don't know, wizards or something and like intellectual masters, but there's, there's something interesting in that, um, in that if we think of, uh, if we think of it as, is being able to respond to a certain level of complexity by virtue of cognitive complexity, such that we can appreciate the phenomenon that you're describing or have the ability to stand out, take the meta perspective or the meta meta perspective. And there's all, there's always this real arms race to see yeah. who could be more meta among these intellectuals, particularly those who like these kind of frameworks. Totally. You know what I mean? And, and, and there's something to that uh, because it's like, holy shit, we can think this way. I see you, you see me, I can see that we can both think yeah, it's this way. Let's see who can do it more. Right. But, but as we said before, there are constraints on that. There are cognitive constraints on that. So as you move into second tier type of thinking into cognitive yellow and cognitive turquoise, there, it's almost as if if we do accept that people move en masse through these developmental stages by virtue of forming cult, sociocultural enclaves that transmit these ways of thinking, We still have to admit that there is going to be cognitive limitations for some people. And to the extent that there is yellow and turquoise cognition and that higher level cognition confers certain kinds of advantages that are not just survival advantages, but other kinds of advantages, say to take advantage of other people or to win certain prizes or to succeed in life in certain ways because the easier way to say it is smart people tend to succeed that is going to stratify society to a very great degree possibly not just in terms of values but cognitive stratification is very real and so the idea that you're going to move the masses of humanity through these psychosocial stages of development and we're all going to be turquoise might not happen for a very long time if at all unless you find a way through technology to expand the cognitive capabilities of, of, of beings who are essentially more or less the same as they were a hundred thousand well, my years ago.
0: response to this I think I think I'm a little less concerned I do believe that the possibility of cognitive stratification is real but we have other weird things like the Flynn effect where IQ is kind of strangely increasing over time like why is that happening we don't really totally know exactly why this is happening um but uh, that's so,
1: the flint effect is so marginal
0: sure sure but i'm i'm not going to focus on the flint effect i'm just throwing that out as as a thing like and okay. i want to just focus more generally on this idea we talked about way at the beginning like how much like uh surplus plasticity do we have to kind of allocate for things and it's kind of interesting like we we can see these people and like i don't know if you heard of the the bat boy who like is blind, but he can click and he has like sonar and he creates like a, like an image of the world around him. Like, well, that's pretty cool. It's like, well, this is sort of interesting because now we have these experiments and explorations in like biofeedback in like, like accelerated learning, accelerated education. And, you know, we can, especially if we improve our ability to educate children, we can move them through these things faster. And maybe, yeah, the adult's of today who are like, you know, they peaked out at like blue or something like this. I mean, I think of my dad in a lot of ways, like he, a real healthy blue traditional beam and some amount of orange as an engineer. And that was kind of his station. And he he didn't really develop more sophisticated thoughts, like along these lines. And he, he was fine in that way. Like he, he really succeeded at that particular thing. And maybe that's true that, but, but people die, like there's generational change. People die. And then there's new generations that come along and like, I'm sort of interested in in how much difference these systems are going to make, especially like think about growing up with a smartphone or growing up without not knowing the internet wasn't there. I mean, you and I saw the internet, we didn't have an internet and then we did. Recall, recall that these uh, are called V
1: memes in the, in the Beck literature, right? Not, not in the Claire Graves literature because his, his, I think his was at the same time or predates uh Richard Dawkins book The Selfish Gene in which the word meme yep. Yep. is given to us, right? It is the intellectual or communications equivalent of a gene. Yep. Right? In 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 the the domain of yep. communications and language. So we have memes which are transmitted viruses of value or information values information whatever and they either persist through through uh, the the speaker or the writer yep. or the internet or whatever the hell, mm-hmm. or they don't right. So, so it's interesting that you you uh, you uh, perhaps unwittingly came back to this idea that these are all memes. Um, what does the memosphere look like that can bring more and more people? I'm not sure. I think it's again, I would I would push back to, to this as a being a learned phenomenon and say that in order to bring more people, if, if that were even desirable, in order for more people to ascend to second tier, if, if there's any meaning to to in the spatial metaphor of second tier, that you're going to have to mix uh, 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 in social evolution fashion, institutions, technology, yes, and culture with our totally. wired biology.
0: Yeah. I don't, I don't disagree with this at all. Like, you know, I think a, a, another way of, you know, feeling, I just want to go back and just grant the stratification to some degree is going to be there and I'm okay with that. Right. The question is like, how do we bring yeah. everybody along yeah. for the ride rather than kind of like forking into some horrific, you know, like that movie Elysium or, you know, what was, what was the time machine, you know, like with the more locks and the, whatever, you know, it's yeah. like, wait, we don't yeah. want to fork that severely over time. So how do we make sure we bring it along? Well, actually one of the intuitions, and this is, de- you know, debatable, if this is part of what it means to be integral or meta modern or not, like what comes after post modernism, not post postmodern. Like there is whatever this momentous lead that Don Beck said, get you to second tier, whatever that is. If I believe in that, One of the parts of it to me is not just this kind of like looking forward transhumanist thing, but it's actually a looking backwards. It's actually kind of a key. It's the include and then transcend, right? The include is look at all this amazing shit that we all have created. Look at all the good parts of these different historical moments. Look at all these parts that are inside of me. There's actually, you got to do a little bit of therapy in a way. You got to like come to grips with like, my internal killer that would like kill to protect my baby or something like this. This is a real thing. And some people are like, Oh no, I never would. It's like, well, you haven't really fully like integrated that red part of you or magical thinking. Like, are you like, are you just like, so, you know, such a cold hearted rationalist, you can't feel the magic of, of being alive. Well, maybe you could like, you know, go to, go to South America do a medicine journey or something like this reintegration of these previous parts of the spiral is actually part of that. And like, I think what comes along with that is a respect and a compassion and an honoring of those things, which is part of like what helps bring them along. We don't want to like squash them anymore. We want to foster the healthiest versions of them Is an intuition.
1: Well, and you know, it reminds me of, uh, in, 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 Going back into the past and exploring, especially exploring genius in the Mm -hmm. past and attempting to categorize by virtue of these heuristic schemes. Right. So go back and go back and look at the exceptions. I mean, look at the Buddha when the Buddha was operating and he's completely broke through the caste system, the the ultra blue Hinduism of his surroundings and created an entire movement that was. Far more advanced and far more egalitarian. What the fuck was that? Right, that's that's kind of off the charts. Buddha and Buddhism is like off the charts. You you could say he's, you know, he he's he's got orange swatches of orange and yellow in him. What about a a, a Thomas Aquinas? Mm -hmm. Thomas Aquinas. What about Leibniz? Like. Some of these thinkers are just like they're they're thoroughly embedded in their time and place. But just like there are moments when you read their work and you're just like, holy shit, you're so far ahead of your time and so far out there in terms of the the levels of complexity and, and you know, cognitive processes that you're able to hold in your mind at once. There's no way you could have been born at this. Level. You're an alien mm-hmm. dude, right? Or, or, or whomever, you know, not. Not just dudes, although we do tend to look at tend to look at men, but there are just so many of these geniuses in the past, like an Emily Dickinson. Where the hell did she come from? You know, she's in puritanical America. She's just scribbling stuff down and she's not standing on the shoulders of that many giants. She's reading the Bible all the time. She's surrounded by a bunch of Puritans. But my God, what a genius. Where did she come from? So yeah, these, 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 these people are the, the, are heuristics breakers. Totally. But one, one final thought, and I don't, and I know we've got to, we've got to, we got to wrap up because we're already, um, we're already over our two yep. hours. Uh, but I'm reminded of this in, in, in just the sort of admonition to people who like to break down models like this. I love spiral dynamics. I love integral theory. I love, um, any enneagram and and even simpler things just like like any like enneagram and personality test i love these and what i love about them is that they achieve a sweet a, a cognitive sweet spot between high res hyper complexity or hyperscience on the one hand and on the other something that would be the opposite that doesn't give you that gives you too much okay. abstraction right it's these cognitive heuristics these models are a way of appreciating phenomena phenomena in an imperfect way that allows you to to upgrade your pattern recognition and in that sense they're extremely useful tools we should not jettison them because we think we're better than they are we should just find the appropriate uses of them for uh, for certain contexts and i think that that's the best way to honor something like a spiral dynamics or developmental theories of this sort.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, by way of final thoughts from my point of view in this conversation is, you know, whether our listeners like, like developmental models or don't like them or they liked spiral dynamics or they prefer another one. Yeah. Doesn't, doesn't really matter all that much. Right. What matters is like, can you get some intuition that there is a relationship between the development of an individual and the collective? And can you get an intuition that this is not over? It's an ongoing process that continues into the future. And can you get get a sense that like, Part of how it emerges is actually through conversations like the ones that we're having. Can we criticize what came before? Can we build off of it? And what does that end up looking like? And, you know, whether you think it's, you know, meta modern or integral or something else or transhumanism kind of doesn't really matter. We're here to talk about the fact that, like, we believe that it is going to happen and it is going to come. So, With that, Max, I loved being with you today. We really got into a lot of depth and uh, anything you want to say before we say goodbye,
1: I, I think there's so much more of this to explore and I feel like we'll come back to it, at least some of the branching themes, but thank you so much for doing this with me today, Porch.
0: Awesome. And please return and join us for another episode about humanity's future and all that good stuff on social evolution.